Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace. And I'm your fellow commenter, Cameron Brooks. And Cameron, I'm excited about this episode. We've got some fun stuff in store, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But first, let me do a little bit of housekeeping. So this episode is episode 125. It's hard to believe that we've done 125 of these already, but it's also the last episode of 2023. So uh, this episode will end the year for us, and then the commentary is going to take a little holiday break, and we'll come back sometime in January and continue Uh, the joy. And hopefully this episode will be enough fun to tide you over uh, over the the next few weeks. So Cameron, what are we going to do in this episode? Yes. Like you just said, it's the end of the year. So I thought we could spend a little bit of time talking about the best of 2023 for the two of us. And I, and I was thinking about this in a more theological way. So this might, (laughs) this might be a lighter episode as you just mentioned, but you know, it's Advent, we're preparing for Christmas, and that means we're meditating on the incarnation of Christ. I've been doing these readings that we talked about in our, our O Come, O Come Emmanuel daily liturgy, and it's been, it's been wonderful, honestly. And I think I came across a quote in, in that book from Gregory of Nazianzus. Mm, yeah. It's one of his famous quotes. He's talking about the incarnation of Christ and what it means that God became a man. And he says, that which is not assumed by Christ is not healed. And what he means in the context, I think he's actually talking against a certain heresy of Apollinarianism. Mm -hmm. So Apollinarianism was saying that Christ didn't really have a human mind. He had like a human body, but the divine spark and the divine mind only. And Gregory came back against that heresy saying, no, no, no. If Christ is going to redeem the whole person, he has to redeem the mind, which means he must assume the mind of humanity. So Christ assumes the mind as well as the body. It got me thinking about the, of course, again, the wonders of the incarnation. Part of that is the fact that Christ had a body at all, which is honestly a a crazy thing to think about. And that's a long segue into what we want to talk about, which is actually the the five senses of being a human. So, ah, okay. So, but okay. Can I just jump in though and say please. there is nothing more commentary about this episode than what's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, like if we say it's going to be a fun episode, we should call it like the theology of fun or something. That's right. The fact that you've already name checked uh, Nazianzus and Apollinarianism. Yeah. Apollinarianism. Apollinar- right. I can't even say it. <laughs> um, just shows how much fun we're planning to have yeah. in this episode. Oh, for sure. For sure. So five senses. So five senses. Yeah. I thought that we could structure this episode around the five human senses, which miraculously Christ participated in and assumed to to heal and redeem. But we're going to do it thinking about 2023. So we'll just move through our own years. And I got this idea from a newsletter that I subscribe to. They call it the senses newsletter, and they have some of their employees talk about the, the ways they've been engaging their senses recently. So the sense of taste, obviously, what's something you've been 
tasting recently mm. or what's something with your eyes you've been viewing or reading and so forth. So I thought we could talk about 2023 as a, as a whole. So we could talk about like the greatest thing you tasted or smelled all year or <laughs> something <laughs> or something that you, that, you know, that characterized the year for you in a unique way. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll get some recommendations for listeners. Maybe not. Hopefully we may we'll have, have to also things. touch on the worst, right? Because that's an aspect of humanity as well. This and, is, yeah. You know. those, right. Right. Those are the things Christ needs to redeem <laughs> for us. So, in all seriousness, I think it is a it's a it's a fun way to think about being a human and to to acknowledge what it actually means that Christ was a human mm-hmm. too. So, okay, without further ado, let's begin with the scent of sight. So I can I can go first on this one. I was thinking about books, of course. So I've read, according to Goodreads, about 54 books this year. Wow, which, that's good. Which feels pretty good. Most of those are short little poetry collections. But one of the longer ones was a book by the Czech Amer- American Czech American philosopher Erezim Kohak. So he taught at the University of Boston in the last century and wrote this book called The Embers and the Stars, and I can't really explain it here at all, but I'm just going to say for everyone, it was probably the most amazing work of philosophy that I've ever read. So Kohak is, I believe, an Anglican Christian. He was. And what he's trying to do in that book is explore what he calls the the moral sense of nature. So if you're into like Thoreau and Emerson and the transcendentalists or the romantics and their love for nature. I think you'll be interested in this book. It's, it's beautifully written. It's, it's poetic. I think that was one reason I really liked it, but it's, it's also philosophically profound. So I recommended it to a few friends, but I, I would tell everyone else, go check this out if you're interested in a, in a deep and challenging read to be sure, but also one that was really encouraging. So that's my sight. What about you? Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, so so anything that I perceived with my eyes that's over right. the past year. So it could be uh, books, it could be films. Yep. Um, well, I'm going to go with films then. Um, so I had two experiences this year that were pretty big for me. Uh, two movies that I love already, but both of them I saw on the big screen for the first time. Right. Uh, downtown at the State Theater. Uh, one of them I saw alone, and the other one I saw with Lori. Uh, so the first one, this was back in May, it was Elevator to the Gallows. And this is like a you know classic 1950s French movie. Uh, it has a beautiful score by Miles Davis. So I guess I heard it as well. Yeah. Uh, it was a sensory feast. But wonderful score. Like I have this score on vinyl and I, I'll listen to it over and over again. But seeing that movie, there's a classic scene where Jean Moreau is walking down, I think the Champs-Élysées in the rain or something like that. And and just seeing it uh, for the first time, you know, huge like that was fantastic. And then later in the year, I think this was in October, maybe, they they showed Dial M for Murder 
And actually one of the first things I saw down in the state when they reopened was they did a month of Alfred Hitchcock movies and this wasn't one of them. And so this was the first time I had seen Dial In for Murder in a theater, but I'd seen it, you know, on television and stuff a few times, but Lori had never seen it. So it was her first time. And she actually came away saying she thought it was her favorite Hitchcock movie and it was a successful date night. <laughs> now, considering the fact that it's a movie about a husband who plots to murder his wife, um, and that was a successful date night, you yeah. know that had to be a really good movie, a great experience. And so, yeah, I mean, the, for nice. for A Feast of the Eyes, and, and in one case, The Ears as well, um, those were great experiences in 2023. Sweet. What was the Miles Davis album called? So the the name of the movie is Elevator to the Gallows. And so if you just Google that, then it's the soundtrack to that. It's I can hear it now (laughs) in my mind. (laughs) Nice. Well, speaking of hearing, let's move on to that Mm. sense. I have a, a couple recommendations here. The first is what Spotify recently told me was my number one album of the year, Mm. which is an album, a 2023 album called love in the void by post rock band hammock hammock. Yeah. Hammock. They, it's just two guys from Nashville who are, are fantastic guitarists. And I think one of them's maybe the drummer, but it's all instrumental and really massive atmospheric sounding music. They know how to get really soft and quiet and then get really loud and they have strings and all kinds of things. It's, it's amazing music. I I think anyway, and this recent album of theirs is by far the greatest thing they've ever written. So I, I would recommend that. Secondly, though, I just recently discovered this band called husbands and this is a they describe themselves as a landlocked surf rock band from Hmm. oklahoma city (laughs) (laughs) so indeed they play surf rock like kind of indie indie fun surf rock music but they're from oklahoma so they're very far from any ocean but it's really fun it's good stuff i would recommend it if anyone's looking for a, a warmer feel for these coming colder months so Right. And it, it's interesting too, that both of your recommendations start with H. Um, That's true. You might want to branch out a little bit, <laughs> but it's tough. I mean, I want to take these recommendations of yours, but you also put together a Spotify playlist of jazz oh, yeah. that's about a year and a half long. <laughs> and I haven't finished going yeah. through it for, for the first time. So yeah. uh, I'll get there eventually. Yeah. I'll add these to my list. Uh, I do have a couple of music things uh, that I can throw out there. Uh, One was a live experience, and that was earlier this year, uh, getting to hear the South Dakota Symphony do Shostakovich, um, which was incredible and and had like a a couple of interesting little uh, like ripples afterwards. But but in the Shostakovich piece that they did, which the the Leningrad Symphony. Uh, there's a famous march that is kind of a, I guess, a parody of a march. It's meant to um, kind of mockingly portray the march of Hitler and his troops. And as I was listening to that music, I became convinced that I had heard 
essentially like a, a, a knockoff of it in some war movie in my youth. And that would have been really ironic that someone had taken the music that was meant to be, um, you know, sarcastic and kind of rearranged it sincerely <laughs> as, as a war movie soundtrack. So I went on a quest to identify what the movie was. And I could hear like the orchestration, like how they had taken Shostakovich and kind of redone it. And, you know, months and months later, I still have not managed to identify what piece of music it is that I'm thinking of. Um, so a little bit of a musical mystery, yeah. but that was kind of cool because that concert is the one that led to uh, NPR running a documentary about the symphony and David Geyer's work in the symphony. And I got to participate in a small way in that. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, so, th so as a listening experience, uh, that was really fantastic. And if you go online and you Google Shostakovich in South Dakota, you can hear that documentary. Uh, you can read the essay that was written about it. And it's really cool to see kind of the, um, account not just of Shostakovich, but also the experience of bringing that music to life here yeah. in South Dakota, which for a lot of people seems like an unusual combination. So, mm -hmm. so that was live music. And then I have one that's, that's a little bit different. Um, so Brian Ferry, who was the lead of a, I guess, seventies and eighties band called Roxy music later in life. And I'm not sure how got, obsessed with 1920s music and went back to his catalog and basically redid everything in the style of the 1920s. So he did an instrumental album called the jazz age. And then he did a, a vocal album called bittersweet. And I, this year have been listening to that over and over again. And, um, I don't, I mean, there's something about that idea that appeals to me. You know, I think I've mentioned in, in grad school, one of my favorite classes was fiction forms where you tried to, you know, write a story in the style of a Victorian novel or write a story in the style of Hemingway or something like that. And so the idea of taking your own iconic work from, you know, 30 years ago or whatever and then recreating it in this other style. Um, and honestly, I like the recreation better than the originals. Huh. So yeah, so it's kind of an interesting tour de force. I think, I don't know, it may be one of those things like you have to have the background, the nostalgia with the music, like you need to have heard it as a kid or something to appreciate this. Maybe not, maybe I'm wrong about that, but for whatever reason, it's, it's been a really interesting experience for me. So would you recommend that we listen to the older versions first or the, the more updated or does it not matter? No, I mean, I don't think it's the kind of thing where you, you need to like do a lot of homework. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel like that might be taking it too seriously, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but probably you could appreciate it, it, Like if you're going to appreciate it at all, you'll appreciate just hearing, yeah. um, you know, like for example, the album, the jazz age would be a good one to start with. Since you're already interested in jazz, that might, yeah. you know, although it's, it's definitely like twenties jazz. It's not okay. like miles Davis jazz. Yep. So, okay. Duly noted. 
So that brings us to, well, taste. We can talk mm. about taste a little bit. So we all eat and drink things every day, I presume. But what's what's a taste that characterized your whole year? Or what's something that you might recommend to folks today? Okay, that's a good one. Um, well, people who know me know that my palate is a limited one. <laughs> And so the tastes that are remarkable to me tend to be pretty well-known and pedestrian to everybody else. But uh, after our trip to Paris last year, Lori and I were very obsessed with uh, steak frites, which is, you know, it's steak and potatoes, basically, (laughs) uh, but done in this French way. And so over the summer when we were in Oregon, uh, there's this little place, uh, Archive, in Salem, Oregon. And we'd been there before, but they had only just started like a dinner menu kind of thing. And so we were there almost every night because they had this dish and it was just perfectly executed. Mm. And so it was like a nostalgic trip back to Paris for us. And... Um, pretty fantastic. And I, and I think that's, and we were just talking last week about going, uh, downtown here to, to have the same thing. So okay. that's probably going to be my, my 2023, uh, at least sort of like culinary right. taste. We could probably come back to beverages though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious, does it matter the type of potato or how, like, how was the potato prepared in steak fries? I mean, they're like steak fries, I guess, okay. would be the 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 description that yeah. you give. I mean, they're they are kind of light and fluffy and salty and wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, do. I mean, this is sadly, you know, even as a writer, I, I don't have a great culinary vocab. So I can't really bring the tastes to life for you. But you'll just have to take my word for it. They're really good. Yeah. Okay. Or ask Lori. Lori can recreate this stuff yeah, vividly. Even better. Yes. Okay. Well, as for me, I think 2023 will always be the year of sourdough donuts. Ah. So maybe you and I talked about this at yeah. some point, but Jenny and I were thinking about, I mean, honestly, we were thinking about getting into the sourdough donut business, if there is such a thing, or we were thinking about bringing it to Sioux Falls. And maybe we're still thinking about it a little okay, bit. I would say this is really <laughs> cruel to dangle something like this in front of people. Right. Well, I mention it in case there are any investors out there <laughs> who want to get into the business early on. But yeah, I think it was in the middle of the summer. We were just obsessed with making them at home. Some listeners will know that I'm into sourdough generally. And we do bread and pizza pretty frequently, but we had never done donuts until this summer. And we only found a couple different recipes, but started perfecting them and thought this would be really fun to bring to a city that doesn't have, in my opinion, very good donuts right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And sourdough donuts in particular, I think are just the best. So we only did a couple different kinds. There was a cinnamon sugar and then we did one maple glaze that kind of had some salt on top, but we have a, a vision of 
starting a little shop, maybe even a food truck that starts out with five or six different donuts and delivers them to a few places in town. And then if it's a, if it's a food truck, we could show up obviously in the summer times at Falls Park or something. And, and I think it'd be a, it, it'd be a good thing. But anyway, whether or not we do that, the, this will always be the, the year of sourdough donuts for us. So, well, that gives me something to pray about. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I easily imagine your food truck full of donuts showing up at a church event and yeah. being a, a, a really good thing. Um, yeah, that's exciting. So uh, switching gears, uh, I want to also talk about, uh, drinks. Okay. Yeah. Um, coffee in particular, uh, it's been an interesting coffee year for me and I'm sure for you as well. But for me, the interesting thing was like, I, I will say like, I'm not a, I don't think I'm a connoisseur in the sense that like I, I can tell light roast versus dark roast and things like that, but I don't have like a refined palate or anything, but I tend to like sort of Ethiopian, you know, flowery kind of stuff. The stuff you think of as like frou-frou coffee. I like that. And, um, the revelation I had though, wasn't a type of coffee or blend or anything. It was a, a means of preparation. So years ago, I had bought online this uh, thing called a Stella Napolitana. And it's kind of a metal coffee maker that people, when they see it, think is a mocha pot. But it isn't. It's something weirder than that. <laughs> that basically you, you fill up and you put on the stove. And, you know, you've got water in one section. You've got coffee in the middle. And then it's going to transfer to the other but the way it works is you get the water in a boil and then you reach out and you flip it oh, yeah. and then it drips through the coffee. And so I bought this thing a few years ago and I kind of messed around with it a little bit because uh, I always loved the idea of stovetop coffee, just not the taste of what actually comes out of it. And um, this was one of those cool things that I was immediately terrified of. Because you boil water in this metal thing and then reach out with your hand and flip it over. What could go wrong? Well, I finally got the nerve to start using this thing. And actually, the results were fantastic. Uh, pretty much any coffee I made in this thing turned out great and really drinkable. And, and I also appreciated the ritual of preparation that went with it. Um, more so than like, for example, pour over, uh, pour over for me is always not fussy, but, but it's, um, like, I know I'm not doing it right. I know that I'm not pouring correctly and that sort of thing. So I always feel like I'm going through the motions for nothing <laughs> that, that, you know, anyone who knew better would say, Oh, you might as well not bother if you're going to do it like that. So what I liked was this has a little bit of that, you know, tea ceremony ritual feeling to it, but the results are consistently good and it's the perfect amount of coffee and, and all that. So yes. I kind of went nuts for that uh, earlier in the year. And I haven't kept it up as consistently, but from time to time, I'll, I'll pull it out and, and use it. And I really love that. Awesome. One more time. What's it called? It's called a Napolitana. That's the kind of thing it is. And, and this one was made by a company called Stella. Okay. And um, I don't think they make this particular one anymore. 
but you can usually go online and, you know, see who, who's making what. It's sort of a, it's not the classic one out of aluminum. This one's like a stainless steel kind of modern looking thing. Excellent. Well, I did want to shout out a local roaster here in town in Sioux Falls. Cafe a Roastery right now is serving a coffee from Burundi called Giku. Mm. And it is just lovely. So it's kind of got some of the floral notes that you were talking about that are typical of an Ethiopian coffee, but also some stone fruit, some strawberry notes to it. And I would say if anyone's in town listening, go definitely go try that coffee before it's gone because it will be gone soon. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for mentioning. I haven't tried it, so I'll definitely go out and do that. Yep. Use it with your Stella. I think it'd be nice. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So that's taste. Wonderful. And we've got two more left. Smell is next. Mm. So I can, I could start this one. I have, again, I've got two ideas here. So I think the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking about smell in 2023 was back in March, I spent some time for my MFA program on Whidbey Island Hmm. and outside of Seattle. And I had never been that far Northwest before. And I remember the whole time just thinking, it smells amazing out here. It smells (laughs) fresh because we're right on the water, right on the, the Puget Sound. I remember one day walking around with some friends and one of my friends Sarah just took a deep breath and said, I don't think I'm ever going to smell or breathe this deeply again. And I remember thinking, yeah, there's something about the air out there by the ocean that Mm -hmm. just enables your lungs to take it all in. And it's the, it's the salt in the air for sure, but there's also like wood smoke and evergreen pine trees everywhere. And it was just this wonderful atmosphere. So thankfully Lord willing, I'll be going back there in March one last time, at least. And so I'm looking forward to that. But the other smell I I would have to mention, or smells rather, are all of the smells associated with a newborn baby. Oh, yeah. um, I could could list 10 different unique smells that Rudy (laughs) has brought into our household. Some of them sweet, some of them not so sweet, Uh but... But ultimately, I think they're they're all wonderful and welcome in our in our household. But yeah, babies definitely um, they challenge your your sense and oh, they make yeah. you pay attention. Oftentimes, it's a kind of communication. You know, if you smell something, you know something's up. Um, or or if you don't smell something, you know everything is okay. So, <laughs> so that's my year. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah this uh, this one's kind of challenging. You know. Yeah. Um, so I have this thing, I, I, I this is going to overshare. I, I feel like no, no one will have any respect for me once this is done. But um, like, I'm one of those people who likes the idea of, of like cologne and, and scents. Um, years ago, I went to uh, like a perfume factory in France. This would have been 1989 or 90 or something. And the person there who was the nose, the expert on blending everything, did a little talk. And I just thought that is just fascinating. Um, but 
I also really struggle ever to, to find like, like any sort of like cologne or scent or something like that, that I can actually like, um, that doesn't, you know, smell synthetic or, you know, whatever to me. And so it's like this quest thing that I go on I'll, I'll be obsessed with the idea that maybe this is the one. And, uh, so, so I had this experience, I, this was earlier this year, but, uh, and, and this was one of those things I should have mentioned this when we talked about getting off of social media, because it's a good reason to get off social media. Um, I think in an Instagram ad or something, some, some scented candle ad, I saw this scented candle ad and the, the, the scent was this Japanese wood called Hinoki. And the description said that this was a very difficult scent to describe. And that, you know, triggered all of my little obsessions. And I was like, okay, I like, you know, this woody thing that sounds good and and difficult to describe. I'm all about that. Uh, and, but I, I, you know, I had no idea what it would smell like, but I didn't let that stop me. So I bought a candle that has this aroma and, um, and it was a huge disappointment, wow. a huge disappointment. You know, I really thought, you know, this is going to be incredible and it was kind of perfumey and I don't know, like, like whatever. So I will burn it occasionally just on principle because I bought it and I feel like I have to, but it uh, was a huge disappointment. And, and, you know, theologically, I think points to that cycle of longing and, you know, disappointment that comes when we put our hopes in something that can never deliver. And, and even though we know it can't deliver, we still go after it. So, uh, I apologize for theologizing <laughs> my stupidity here, Got but, it. but yeah, it, it, it's, uh, just one of those things <laughs> that I'm like, okay, I'm still bitter about this. Right. You know? Well, thankfully Jesus assumed even our scent yes. and can redeem all of the bad sense in the world. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Including that, that candle of yours. Right. <laughs> yeah. Scent. I, I would think that was the hardest one for me to think through when you think about a, a scent that characterizes your year. But I also like thinking about that because it, it gets you out of your box a little yeah. bit. Well, there, it reminds me, like you said something earlier when we were talking about uh, morality and it, it triggered a memory that I had from years ago with some, some architect friends. Uh, they were in the architecture program at University of Houston, and they dragged me to the Cy Twombly Museum in Houston. And uh, Twombly is like a you know, modern abstract artist whose work I was not interested in, and, and neither were they. But they were actually interested in the building that housed his paintings as architects. And, and they kept talking about like the morality of the building. And, and to me, that was just like a category error. You know, I'm like, it's, there's no morality to buildings people. But of course, as an architect, you know, you're thinking about all this stuff. But one of the points that they called my attention to was the smell of the building that uh, they'd used materials. I don't know if it was the floor or whatever that had a a certain aroma to it. And that had been intentional on the part of the architect. And so, you know, ironically, even though we're not accustomed to using, or at least like thinking deliberately about all of these senses, there are disciplines that you think of as primarily visual, Mm -hmm. um, where people are thinking about that. Yeah. 
It's fascinating. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Well, that leaves us with just the last of our five senses, which is touch. Ah. And this one too, I think, could be taken in many different directions. When I started thinking about it, I, I instantly went to the tools I've been writing with uh-huh. this, this year. And for me, that's been Blackwing Pencils. Yeah. Of course, which is kind of a, a standard, but I've, I've really enjoyed using them all year long. And in particular, the Blackwing Pearl, which is a bit of a softer graphite. So if anyone needs a recommendation, I go, I would recommend the Blackwing Pearl. And then a notebook that I've been using is the Rollbon by Delphonics. So Delphonics makes it, I think, and it's called the Rollbon notebook. But it's, I'm a little confused if it's a Japanese company or a German company because I think Rollbon is a German word, but the paper is from Japan or something. Yeah, <laughs> Delphonics is Japanese. Yes, yeah. yeah. We actually went to the Delphonics store in the Louvre in, in oh, Paris. And nice. yeah, so I, I know a little bit about okay. that, but I think it's a, it's one of those Japanese brands that makes stuff that are meant to seem as if they're from, you know, right. European design houses or something. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely sold me. So I picked one up in Omaha over the summer, just a pretty small graph paper journal, but it's been perfect for writing poems recently. The paper is really nice, especially with that, the black wing pearl. So that's been my tactile experience mm-hmm. of late. That's interesting because I think people don't often think about the the sensation of touch in in the act of writing, right. which is something like if you write by hands with a pencil, especially, you're very conscious of mm-hmm. of the feel of the tip of the pencil on the paper, and so the the texture of the paper and the hardness, or in this case, the softness. Yeah of the lead, it makes a big difference. I mean, I'm still bitter this year in 2023. I lost my beloved brass pencil that I would carry everywhere. And it was a a Taiwanese pencil made of, of different like kind of gold brass and then like a rose gold looking brass and and indestructible. And uh, I think I lost it on on an airplane or something like that. It's amazing they let me take it on the airplane, but they did. And uh, I I still am bitter about that because it was that perfect combination of like the the feel of the lead on the paper and the the width of the pencil and the hand and that sort of thing. So, but what that means is there's a black wing shaped hole that's right in my life yeah. right now that uh, <laughs> I can go to. I should mention um, this probably fit better under sight, but earlier in the year, an anthology came out called Ordinary Saints, and it's a collection of essays from Square Halo. They do all sorts of cool uh, theology and theology adjacent, you know, arts and faith type books. But this one was specifically um, all about, uh, like the the idea was take some obsession of yours and theologize it. (laughs) And so, you know, there was, I think, Malcolm wrote about pipe smoking and mine was about briefcases because I'm always kind of obsessing over, you know, the, not just the, the stuff you write with, but what do you put it all in? And so 
I wrote a, a really over-revealing and embarrassing uh, expose of my briefcase habit, and it was collected in there. But again, it does kind of center on that idea of touch, right? Because when you're dealing with physical objects like that, how they feel in your hand plays like an inordinate role in, in how you think about them. You know, if, if, if it's leather or canvas, if it's soft or rigid or whatever, you really do think about that stuff and, and, uh, weird ways that, um, I don't know that it fascinates me anyway to think about. So I got to ask why a briefcase and not just a backpack or something. That's a good question. I mean, I, I do have backpacks um, and I can see the practicality of them. But I think for me, there's always just been something about like the idea of the 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 thing you hold your paper and your your gear in, you know, so that I just always go back to that kind of form, you know, and plus with a backpack, it's not always appropriate for every environment or what you're wearing. Um, I think backpack is cool if you're in casual wear, but if you were, you know, dressed up or something, it'd be weird to have a backpack on as you're, you know, suspicious even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I show up at church, you know, and I've got like a little briefcase full of you know, Bibles and books and papers and whatever I'm going to need. And, um, I think it would be odd if, if it was, a a briefcase, I'm sorry, a, a backpack or, you know, like a briefcase to me just seems natural for that kind of thing. Um, but you know, that's also, you know, I mean, you open up a can of worms talking about <laughs> pencils, but, but all this writing related stuff, you end up proliferating right all sorts of accessories and things like that and and in 2023 uh one of the big ones i was obsessed with wasn't a briefcase it was actually like a lap desk uh dan keller the the good made better guy um who's not far from us just up in uh the watertown area uh made this thing he called the right well which is a sort of slanted lap desk but it has this attachment on the back that holds reading material, but it's adjustable. So you could put books in it. You could put an iPad, whatever. And so I, I got one of these things and was using it for all kinds of different stuff, you know, sermon prep and, you know, any, any time I, I needed to carry a bunch of books outside and go work on them, I just stack them on this thing and haul them out. And so it's uh, another kind of sensory experience, though, because he made it out of, you know, this really nice sort of walnut wood and with this brass accents and everything. And it's just nice to write on. So really, really cool stuff. Dan makes neat stuff. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, when this episode drops, I believe it'll be a little too late for Christmas shopping. Or fortunately yeah, for or, the listeners. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, fortunately you don't, but you've got these recommendations, um, or, or maybe, maybe you don't care about this stuff, but anyway, I, I think it's, it's worthwhile reflecting on how God made us to experience the world through these senses. And 
like Gregory said in that quote, he was really talking about the mind, the, the human mind that Christ assumed to redeem. And I think that it's part of the amazing thing about being human is actually being able to step back and reflect on these things at all. You know, most animals aren't reflecting on their senses. They're just experiencing them. But humans are, you know, made in the image of God in such a way that we can actually step back and, and reflect and then praise God for the way that we experience the world in this unique and multifaceted way. So anyway, that's about as deep as I can go with this episode. But this has been really fun. And Pastor Mark, thank you for another year of the commentary. And thank you, too. I mean, this this has been such a fun project. I've enjoyed all of our conversations, all 125 of them, and look forward to many more in the new year. Thanks for listening to the commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. And when you're ready to engage all five senses in a podcast experience, you can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.